Thank you, Brian. And so now that he has gotten you to think and created some, you know, images in your mind and memories, I, I just want you to think about your favorite Christmas song, right? What's your favorite Christmas song? Just think about that for a minute. Now turn to your neighbor and tell them what your favorite Christmas song is, or your favorite Christmas music. What is that? Go ahead and do that. Let's just hear some of them, okay? Let's hear some. Oh, Holy Night, Silent Night. What's that? Mary, Did You Know? Everybody's been watching that one, right, on YouTube. Anything else? Something else? Say that. Feliz Navidad. There we go. Thank you, Mike. You love it, man. Love having you here. That's awesome. Okay, so today we're going to start a series, and it's going to be about the songs of Christmas. And only we're going to look at different songs than probably those of you mentioned right now, the carols of Christmas. A few years ago, we actually did a series called The Carols of Christmas, but now we're going to do one on the songs of Christmas. And, you know, there's just something about Christmas that the whole idea of it that causes us to think about music. And there's so many songs that are tied to it. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the first people who experienced the birth of Jesus, which is what Christmas is all about. And they had experiences that changed them. They had experiences that moved them deeply. And then they wrote songs about those experiences. And we're going to look at those for the next few services that we get to have together, uh, the next few weeks. And uh, all will be from the book of Luke. And so all recorded right there in Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2 as we look at it. And I'm going to come at this from a different angle uh, today. And so kind of my angle is this, as I look at a specific song today, we're going to look at what is behind the song so we're going to look at what's behind, what was the you know, setting and what was going on that would cause this person today, Zechariah, to write the words that he wrote. And then secondly, we're going to look at what is inside the song. So what is behind the song and what is inside the song. Very simple message, uh, but I think it'll be very moving as we focus together on Christmas. So go ahead and grab your message notes out of your program. They look like this. And you can use these to follow along and all the Bible verses I'm going to use. You can open your Bible to Luke chapter 1. That's where we'll be beginning in verse 5 today. And then we'll be skipping towards the end of chapter 1 as we finish up the actual song. But the, behind the song is beginning in chapter, uh, verse 5. So let me just give you some context as we start behind the song, okay? It's been over 400 years since anyone in the nation of Israel has heard from God, since they've heard God speak, 400 years, way beyond the age of our nation, since anyone has heard from God. The last time they heard from God was through the prophet Malachi, as Malachi spoke words of prophecy and judgment upon the nation. So for 400 years, it appears that God has either silent or absent, as they looked and wondered where God is. 400 years of waiting, 400 years of longing, 400 years of praying. Some of you think how long you've been praying for something. 400 years of praying. 400 years of oppression underneath nations that would oppress them and tax them and make them move and rob out of their temple and all the things that they lived through. 
their current oppressors that they're living under when we're going to engage today, the Romans. The Jews lived under the Roman rule and Roman taxation. And yet with all of this waiting and all this praying and all of this oppression that they were living under, they still had a hope. Maybe for some, it was a glimmer of hope. For some, it was maybe a, you know, a little bit higher in the fire range of hope. Maybe some had lost their hope altogether. But many of them held hope that scriptures would still be fulfilled and that they would see the coming of the Messiah. And so I looked at him, looked for him. So with that kind of as our background, let's begin in verse 5, and let's read what happens in this story behind the song. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. So there's our first character that we're looking at, and he's actually the songwriter. He was a member of the priestly line of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was of the priestly line of Aaron. So these two are PKs, okay? So my kid, I have a PK sitting right over here. Well, they were PKs as well, priest kids, okay? That's who they were. Uh, and so that's what we have here. So and then it goes on and it says, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. Now, when it says that they were righteous in the Lord's eyes, it doesn't mean that they were perfect. What, what that means is, is that they had made a choice and they'd made a decision that they would live for God, even though it seemed that God was absent, even though it seemed that God was silent, even though it seemed that God was not answering their prayers, and they wondered when it would be that God would come through. They said, no matter what anyone else does or says, we are going to live fully for God, fully for him. It goes on to say this, they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. So if you'll remember from the message that Kim gave a few weeks ago and our series that we were going through the characters of the Old Testament, that she talked to us about Hannah. And when she talked about Hannah, she mentioned that Hannah as well was not able to conceive and that she talked about how much pressure there was in this culture to have children. Children were a sign of God's blessing. Children were a sign, uh, or actually children gave you security as you aged. There was no social security, so you had kids so they could take care of you. I think we need to go back to that system, right? <laughs> They'll take care of us as well. You had kids so that you would have someone to give you status, so they elevated your status in that way. So when someone didn't have children, this is the key, when someone didn't have children, it appeared that God had abandoned them, or God had chosen in some way to punish them, that there was some sin, hidden sin in their lives, and that for that sin, they were not able to conceive. One time the disciples asked Jesus, and they saw a man who was disabled, they asked Jesus about this man and said, who sinned, this man or his parents? So they would look at that and they would think, because there's a, there's a, a, a deformity or because there's not a blessing, that there has to be sin somewhere. So to have no children was a sign of God's punishment or correction, and yet these two PKs remained faithful to God. Now, they were priests. Zechariah was priest kids. Zechariah was the priest, and in this day, there were somewhere around 18 to 20,000 priests, okay? Somewhere around 18 to 20,000 priests. A lot of priests, right? And so they had a specific job, and their specific job would be to go to the temple and uh, offer sacrifices and then to burn incense before God. So they, so many priests, they divided them into groups. They were very organized, and they had 24 groups. 
And if they had 18,000, that means there were about 750 priests in each group, and they would go twice a year, and that they would take care of their duties that they were assigned to burn incense in the temple. Well, on this occasion, Zechariah was the one chosen. So out of the 750, one would be chosen that they would get to go inside. It was an honor because, you know, with that many, your, your name may never come up. And then once it did come up, you could never go again. They took your name out of the system so that you couldn't go again. So they drew lots, and that was the way they determined God's will. And Zechariah won the draw, and he got to go into the temple that day to burn incense in the sanctuary. Now, this has been going on for years, right? We're talking about 400 years since God has spoken, that no one has seen or heard from God in this amount of time. And so he goes in. And he's not quite expecting what happened that day. So let's read this. So while he goes into the sanctuary, while, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken, understatement, right? And overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid. I think when they sent angels down to do business, they always said, the first thing you have to say is don't be afraid because you're going to shock the heck out of these people. You know, uh, I, I love that uh, seeing uh, Dallas Willard at, at his death, uh, what they were, uh, the people who were in the room when he died. Uh, uh, actually, it was a surgery. It was when he was having a surgery uh, that uh, for he had a Whipple uh, because he had cancer. And, uh, and when he was going into surgery, he had a vision of angels around him. And they weren't, you know, fat little chubby beings uh, or sleek little beings. They were tall giants that he saw in his room. And so, you know, the picture here is that, you know, it would be something that would scare the bejeebers out of you uh, when you saw that. So he was overwhelmed, but the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Now, what prayer is he referring to? God has heard your prayer. At first glance, because of what comes next, we may think that he's heard Zechariah's prayer for a child. But what most people believe is that in context, because of what it was that Zechariah was there to do, that the angel was saying, God has heard your prayer that the Messiah would come. That's what they would pray when they go into the temple. That he was praying the prayer for hope of deliverance of the people. He was praying for the Messiah. And yet the angel says this, goes on to say, your wife Elizabeth will give you a son and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. I'd like this if I was a dad, you know, being told I'm going to have a child and it's going to be someone of this kind of stature. Then it goes on to give some instructions. Let me instruct you on, because this is going to how he'll be able to be who he is. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be man with the spirit and power of Elijah, and he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. So when the angel said these words, angel, Gabriel, is making reference to the words of the last prophet who had ever spoken for God to the nation Israel, the prophet Malachi. You might write these references down, Malachi 3.1 and Malachi 4.6 and 7. Malachi actually prophesied the words that Gabriel's speaking here about who this child would be and what he would do to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. 
So what's happened, you know, I just think this is, I think this is lovely how God works. You know, he's getting ready to send his son to be the redeemer of the world, the savior of the world, the birth of his son. And he so cares about Zechariah and it's so personal that even though he's going to work corporately for, on behalf of the nation, he's also going to care for Zechariah and Elizabeth in the middle of this and bless their socks off, okay? Just bless their socks off. So that's one of the things I just see how God is so personal in this story. God was going to work through the pain. You think about it. We can learn in just a minute how, that they're very old. And so they'd had a lot of pain over not having to have children. And he was also going to work through their pain and the nation's pain to then bring the gift that he would bring in the birth of his son. So just one thing to remember this is that as we're looking at our lives is that God often uses people to accomplish his will. Very rarely, I think, does God zap things or do things apart from people being willing to say yes to him. And then he works through them to accomplish his will and the earth. Now, at this point, Zechariah is, you can imagine, he's what? He's blown away. You know, he's pinching himself, wondering what's actually, you know, can I believe this? After all the prayers, after all the questions, after all the disappointment, God answers him. And so this is what Zechariah says, says to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is well along in years. Now, first of all, husbands, we got to notice here, Zechariah has had good husband training, okay? So he says, I'm an old man, and my wife, well, you know what? She's not old as dirt. (laughs) He said, my wife is what? Just well along in years. He's made it very politically correct there when he said that. How did he know that this was going to be written down and we'd be reading it today, right? (laughs) Right answer, right answer, Zechariah, uh, when he did that. So, But what's important to see in this question when he asked this, it was not a question of procedure. It was a question of doubt, not a procedure of doubt. He was asking, how can I be sure? How can I be sure that this is going to happen? Next week, we're going to look at Mary. And Mary was also visited by the same angel, Gabriel. And she was given the word that she would conceive a child. And she responded with a procedural question we're going to look at next week. She said, How can this be since I've not been with a man? So how can this be procedural question? He's asking a doubt question. He showed a lack of faith, a lack of faith. So this is what happens next. And I wish I could, you know, have some movie maker make this scene next. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I mean, I give that question. I just kind of think that's kind of the way the scene happened next. And it's just vibrating in the room. I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent you, me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. And then I could just see it, you know, clouds and smoke and Gabriel's gone. (laughs) Right? Gabriel's gone at this point. No other side of Gabriel, no other word from Gabriel. And Zechariah's just left there by himself 
Well, did this just happen? Was this bad pizza? What happened? <laughs> What's going on here? I'm not quite sure. And, I, and my, my guess is because he couldn't speak, and most scholars think he also couldn't even hear at this point, so he couldn't speak or hear, is that he, he was unsure about even coming out. How am I going to come out of here? So he probably stayed in there quite a while, uh, thinking about how this actually happened and how am I going to explain this since I can't speak and I can't hear. Well, finally he came out. And he made signs that he had been visited by an angel. And then he and Elizabeth went back home. And the Bible's always understated. <laughs> you know, he comes out and makes signs and go back home. You know, no one really questions what happened. And as the angel predicted, she became pregnant. And then fast forward the story, about nine months, she delivers a son. And on the eighth day... Uh, this is the day of circumcision when all males in Israel would be circumcised and if they hadn't been named yet would actually be named. Uh, this is what happens. So they asked, because Zechariah still couldn't talk, they asked the mother, says, okay, what is his name going to be? And she responded and said, his name is John. And everyone was in shock at this moment because in this culture, the firstborn son was named after some family name. And there was no one in his family with John. And so they were in shock at this. So they turned to Zechariah and said, is this true? And this is what happens in verse 63. He motioned for a writing tablet. And that was probably a, wooden, a wood that they had formed and then put wax over it. And then they would write on it and you know, smooth it off and write again. So he was writing on this wax tablet. And to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. And instantly Zechariah could speak again. And he began praising God. Praising God. So I'm just flabbergasted when I'm reading this and thinking about what I would be experiencing at this point and what I might do. After nine months of not being able to talk and tell people about this experience that he had in the sanctuary, his very first words were not, you should have seen that angel. <laughs> You're never going to believe what this was like. His first words were what? Praise to God. See, his time of silence gave him time to reflect, gave him an opportunity to pray and dig into the Old Testament scriptures, gave him time to hear from God. And then these nine months brought about a renewal and a refreshing in Zechariah's faith so that when the moment came that he could talk, he worshiped God. And he praised God because of what God was initiating in this time and this space concerning the Messiah and concerning the fact that he had a son. He spent nine months in silence contemplating what God was doing. And then what comes out of his mouth is beautiful. Zechariah begins to praise God. He could not contain himself. It just rolled out of him. He could not stop his exuberant spirit. And then this is the song that we're going to look at. It's a song of renewed faith. It's a song of unleashed joy. So turn your notes over and let's look at what is inside the song. By the way, I just want to you know, give a sidebar here. He had nine months of silence. And we talked, you know, try to encourage you that Silence is a good thing, and solitude is a good thing to engage in. And, you know, nine months, very radical. Uh, nine minutes is pretty hard, <laughs> honest. You know, it really is. But you see the fruit and the benefit here of silence. And so maybe this Christmas season, 
you might carve out nine minutes, 90 minutes, half a day. Just carve it out. I'm serious. It won't happen if you don't carve it out and reflect on the birth of Jesus Christ and what that means to you and allow that to percolate in you so that then God can create this sense of worship and exuberance in you as well. Okay, so let's look at this song. It begins this way, verse 67. Then Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he gave this prophecy, gave this prophecy. So three ideas from this song. And what I, what I realized is, as I did this, is that this was Zechariah's response. This may not necessarily be our response, but I believe this can be our response. If we look at and reflect on Jesus and we make him our focus, then this could be our response as well because of the truths that Zechariah is about to lay out in his exuberant praise of God when he does that. So the first one is this. I believe we can do this. We can sing because of God's plan. We can sing because of God's plan. So we can sing at Christmas because of his divine plan and that he has a plan that is for each one of us and for every person. When we fully grasp this and we remind ourselves of the birth of Jesus into our world, it creates a joy that erupts into song. Now, this week, I don't know, I've just been, you know, I guess it was on the day after Thanksgiving, we always set up our house for Christmas. And this year, I remember saying to my family, let's don't do any decorations this year. Yeah, I know, that's what I got. (laughs) I got a mutiny. Uh, And, uh, you know, just to make it simpler, let's don't do all this. Let's just, you know, not... It's so much work to take it down, so much work to put it up for the joy we get. So anyway, I was, just, I was outvoted, so we did that. Uh, but what I was thinking this week is, you know, I, there's so much talk right now about the word Christmas, you know, happy holidays or Merry Christmas. And, um, and, and I think that as, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you may not quite grasp what I'm talking about here. But as followers of Jesus, that sometimes I think that we can even dilute Christmas, dilute the birth of Jesus with the word Christmas. You know, we talk about Christmas. We talk about the Christmas spirit. We talk about Christmas gifts. We talk about Christmas services. We talk about Christmas love. And we talk about, and it becomes something that is actually separated from the reason for Christmas. Now, I'm not a bah humbug really kind of guy when I say this. But what I'm just encouraging us to do is that instead of focusing on Christmas, let's focus on Jesus. And that's what Zechariah did. And that's why his prayer could be so, his song could be so exuberant. So here's what he says. Here's a song. And I wish I could sing. I'd sing something to you, but I can't. (laughs) Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant, David. So I want you to notice something here. He says this. He says, he has visited. He has visited and he has redeemed. You might circle those. Has visited, has redeemed. That is past tense. John was born before Jesus. Jesus has not yet been born. Jesus has not yet gone to the cross. Has visited and has redeemed. He uses past tense. 
Now, you've got to know, this was the pattern that an Old Testament prophet would use when he would talk about something that's going to happen but hasn't happened yet. They would talk to it as if it has actually happened. They would use past tense. And John is going to become the, actually the last Old Testament prophet as he speaks about Jesus. So when Zechariah is speaking here, it's as a prophet. He's talking about it. it it's going to happen, so, and I'm so sure of it, I'm going to speak it up in past tense as if it has already happened. Now, Zechariah didn't have this kind of faith earlier. Earlier, he had said, how's this going to happen? He was doubting. He wasn't sure. He, but now he has a renewed faith. He speaks of it as already taken place. And that's why I call today Zechariah's Song of Faith. Because this is a song of a man who has faith. It is the faith declaration of the fact that the Messiah has come and is, is coming and has come and so certain with it that he's going to state it with faith and conviction. So Zechariah agrees that his boys are going to be named John and he sings the first lines of his song. They are a proclamation of faith and his actual submission to God's plan. So what is God's plan? Well, God is about to set into motion the redemption and rescue of all people. God was going to come and be with his people, Emmanuel, God with us, to show us what grace is. Jesus has not yet been born, as we said, and yet John is talking as if it has already accomplished the mission of the Savior coming to the world. So I want you to go back up and look at the, the two words and circle them. The word visited, it said God has visited and redeemed, verse 68. God has visited and redeemed, circle visited and redeemed. And if you want to know why we celebrate Christmas, that is why. If you want to know why we celebrate the birth of Jesus, that is why. That God has come, he has visited, and he has redeemed his people. That's the message of Christmas. Jesus has come, visited, and redeemed his people. He came to visit and redeem us. Now, that word visit, the reason I'm making such a big deal out of this, that word visit, it signifies more than just someone who's going to stop by and then leave. You're going to have those kinds of people at the holidays, right? We make holiday visits to people and we stop by their homes. We want to bring them a gift. We want to say, you know, happy holidays or Merry Christmas. We stop by and leave. Or we have relatives who show up. They say they're going to leave and then, you know, <laughs> you wish they left sooner than they did. No. It signifies more than just someone who comes for a visit. This is what it signifies. It signifies that God has come on our behalf. He's come on our behalf. It means that Jesus has come with the intent of helping. He didn't just come to hang with us, okay? He didn't just come to be there. He comes with the intent of helping and healing his people. Now, I was trying to reflect on this and think about you know, a, a way to, to get this across and I remember I used to watch old westerns with my dad. Anybody do that with your dad? Anybody still do that? You know, you like to watch those old westerns. And he had all of John Wayne's movies, and we watched them again and again and again. And I also remember watching Perry Mason growing up with my dad, you know, Perry Mason. There were times in old westerns and times when Perry Mason where someone would get sick and they would need a doctor. They have an emergency. And so the doctor would do what is called a house visit. Okay, a house visit. And so the doctor would come over and visit and, you know, to bring healing to them. 
Well, folks, that's a great picture of what Jesus came to do. He came to do a house visit. He's a doctor who comes to make this visit with you with the intent of healing you and making you well or better. And that's part of God's plan that Jesus would come in that way to visit you, to heal you, to live with you. That's part of God's plan. He's sending God's son and part of the healing is to redeem us to take away the sin that we have so that we can be whole, so that we can be in relationship with him, to do something that we could never do on our own as he would do for us. We cannot make ourselves better. Only Jesus can do that. And then he says he'll be a mighty savior and it symbolizes strength and deliverance. And he mentions David just to make sure that we understood that David was the the Davidic promise that that there would be an heir come through the line of David and that would be the Messiah. So he mentions all these in this first part of the song and he says that is God's plan. God's plan is he would come to visit and redeem, visit and redeem. And that's his plan today, that Jesus would visit and redeem and we get the chance to know him. Second is this, I can sing because of God's promises. We can all sing because of God's promises to us. So he goes on in his song, and he says this, Just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago, now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. See, one thing that's so rich about the Bible is the fact that there's so many promises from God in this book that we can grab hold and we can embrace and that we can believe and that will buoy us up when things get hard and things get difficult. And when Zechariah, Zechariah is writing his song here, he is anchoring the coming of Jesus Christ to the promises that God has made in the Old Testament of the coming of the Messiah. See, God's holy prophets had told of this event and they had been inspired under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to talk about the fact that Messiah would come and that he would come as a result of God's love and he would come to redeem his people. Just as Moses led God's people on a political exodus out of Egypt, God's son would come and he would lead his people on a new exodus out of spiritual oppression, spiritual destitution to a new life. And he goes all the way back to the very beginning. I love this about what Zechariah is doing here. He really knew his scriptures. He goes all the way back to the promise that God had made to Abraham, all the way back that he would provide a nation And that nation would be a blessing to many peoples. So what we can do when it comes to Christmas, folks, is when we come to this time of year, is that we can celebrate just as Zechariah did because we trust God to fulfill his promises for us. And he promised to do that through Jesus. Paul was reflecting on this. I want to give you a verse that's not in your notes, 2 Corinthians 1.20. It says this, All of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. All of his promises have been filled with a resounding yes. And so I just want to ask, what promises right now are you holding on to tightly? And maybe you're getting discouraged and you're wondering where God is, that he might be absent. 
because he seems to be silent. And I just want to encourage you, never, never think that God's silence implies his absence or his inability to keep his promises. He will keep every promise he's made. Number three, I can sing because of God's purpose. I can sing because of God's purpose. He goes on in verse 74 and says this, We have been rescued from our enemies, so we can serve God without fear. We've been rescued, why? So we can do what? So we can serve God, so we can serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness as long as we live. It says here, he saves us so that we can serve him. I just want to let that sink in. He saves us so that we can serve him. And we can do it without fear, and we can do it in righteousness, and we can do it in a way that we become part of his story that he's telling. So that we can, based upon the fact that he has redeemed us, that he has visited us, that he has promised us, and we believe in his promises, because of that, a joyous response comes out of me, and that joyous response is, I want to give myself away to others. That my life is no longer my own. That I want others to also know God's plan of redemption so that they can experience the same thing I have experienced. See, Jesus not only delivers us, but he then infuses us with power. He infuses us with joy, infuses us with our Holy Spirit so that we can speak for him into our world. And then he goes on, and I just think that if I get through this without crying, it'll be a miracle. But he goes on and prays for his son. He sings a song about his boy. And you, my little son, this is why I think God is so awesome. That this is all about corporate stuff here. About God's plan to redeem the world, God's promises for everyone. And yet, remember I said that God takes our story and he brings it into his story and he does great things. You knew my little son will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. So he's declaring the word of prophecy over his son based upon the word that Gabriel had given him, based upon what he knew about Malachi, that his son would be the one that prepares the way for the coming of the Messiah. And that's just what John did. He became known as John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. And he was the one who prepared the way for the first advent, the first advent. So my question is, is that it? Is that all that, is that like the end of the story here? Well, no. See, we happen to believe that there will come a time, and only God knows this time, right? Only God knows this time. When Jesus will become, well, Jesus will come 
for what has been called the second advent. Second advent. Just as Jesus came once for the first advent, he's going to come again at a certain point in time, and he will fulfill every promise made about making everything right, and that's the second advent. So the question is, who plays the role of John the Baptist in the second advent? Everyone who is a follower of Jesus. Everyone who's a follower of Jesus. The church is the one who is called to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus, for the coming of the second advent. John came to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus, and we are here to prepare the way for Jesus to come again. And God's provision is certain and it's astounding. And we sing because of his plan to visit and redeem the world. We sing because of his promises. And we sing because we get to be part of his purpose. His first purpose was that Jesus would come. His second purpose is that Jesus will come again. And we get to be part of what God is doing. Part of what he's doing. I'm going to read those last three verses, last couple of verses to you. Jessica, would you pull that up again? It begins with because, the last slide. Read this again. Because of God's tender mercy, this is just our closing thought, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death and guide us to the path of peace. We sing because Jesus came to heal us We sing because Jesus came to save us. We sing because Jesus came to release us from our hurts. We sing because he came to take us out of darkness. We sing because he came to forgive us. We sing because he came to lead us and to guide us. We sing because he has come and he will empower us. And that's why we sing. We are part of the second advent. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for these words from Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, amazing people, and yet I just want to call them, they're ordinary people. Just as we talked about last week, that there are no like um, stations with you have normal people and extraordinary when it comes to faith, just all, all of us are the same, that they were just like us. And so because of that, I I just think today that we can come and embrace Zechariah's song as our song. And we can sing to you because of your plan to visit us, that you came, God with us. You are here. You came as our doctor to heal us, to make us whole. You came to redeem us of our sinful condition. And Lord, I know that there are people in the room And this is the part that they need today, right now. They've never experienced the cleansing that Jesus Christ came to bring. You've never asked Jesus to forgive you and cleanse you. If you wanted to right now, you can pray with me. Jesus, as much as I understand this, I ask you right now to cleanse me, redeem me. I've sinned. Man, have I really messed it up. And I pray today that you will make me whole Cleanse me and allow me to live for you. And God, for all of us now, I just think that the key is, are we going to believe that Jesus is your plan? 
and focus on helping people experience him? Are we going to believe in your promises so that even when things don't look in our favor or we have doubts, that we can, through the power of Holy Spirit empowering us, step over those doubts because of your promises? And then, Jesus, I just ask, are we going to believe that we are your messengers preparing the way for the second coming of Jesus? Wow. Well, that changes the way we live. Changes our focus. Changes our intent. Attitudes. And it gives us a divine purpose. Changes everything. And I pray that you would help us to embrace that and remember it as we go out to celebrate Christmas that we will think about Jesus and wanting our world to know him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.